Well, good morning, everybody. So today we are wrapping up our Lust, Love, and Litigation series. My name is Jeremy Jones. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And for the past three or four weeks, we've just been looking at what does it mean to really have a marriage that follows God's plan, God's design, God's way of doing things. And so we've been looking at how we treat our spouses, how we pursue our spouses, how we... Uh, last week, we looked at some really good how to play Twister, I believe, was the metaphor that was used. Um, and so if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, definitely go back and listen to the podcast from last week. You'll get a good, uh, you'll appreciate it. You'll definitely appreciate it. But today, we're talking about what happens in a relationship when things go sour. What happens in a relationship when things turn nasty and things turn ugly? And as I was preparing to talk about this today, and as I was looking at some of the different things, I came across an article that talked about... The top 10 things newlywed couples fight about. And as I was looking at the list, I was expecting to find something like whose parents we go see at the holidays. You know, do we go see my parents? Do we go see her parents? That wasn't on the list. I was expecting to see something like um, whose job do we move for? Whose job do we stay for? Something like that. Wasn't on the list. Do you want to know what was on the list? That made the list. All right, now, does the toilet paper go over or does the toilet paper go under? Okay, how many people in the crowd say, obviously, it's over? Toilet paper goes over. Okay, how many people say, what are, you, what are they talking about? It goes under. It goes under. Okay, so there's a few under, but more people say over. Here's something else that made the list. This is something that newlywed couples fight about so much it made the top ten. How many people say... No, you roll that thing from the bottom. You, you squeeze from the bottom and go, okay, how many people say that? How many people say that's silly, you just squeeze from the middle and that's totally fine? Okay, okay, the room's a little bit more evenly split on that one. This is something else that also made the list. Let's put up the next one. Okay, how many people say you roll towels? You roll them up, okay. How many people say no, you fold towels? Okay, okay, there's more fold than roll on that one, Okay. This is what made the list of top ten things that couples fight about. Now, there's some more obvious ones like money and stuff like that. But I was just like, really? These are the things that we're going to choose to fight about when we're, when we're newly married. And then I got to thinking about, well, wait a second. Jeremy, go back to when you were newly married. And when Scott and I were talking about this series, I specifically asked Scott if I could take this weekend and preach. And the reason I asked him about that is because... I, everything we're going to talk about today, I have done wrong. And so I get to speak today out of a wealth of, yeah, I did that, that was really stupid. Yeah, I did that, that was really stupid. And my hope today is that by sharing some of my story, sharing a little bit of stuff like that, I can spare you some of the pain and stuff that I've walked through when, with my marriage. And so usually when I'm listening to a speaker talk about a topic... I want to know that they actually have had some background with it, some experience with it. It's like I, I was listening to this guy once talk about money management. And come to find out his parents were like multimillionaires. Now that doesn't make what he said untrue. But it's really hard to listen to a guy talk about managing your money well when he's never had to worry about paying bills or never had to worry about stuff like that. So it's like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but you don't really understand where I'm at. You don't really understand where I'm coming from. So to give you guys a little bit of hope, if you're like, man, my marriage is tough, my marriage is rocky, I got married, my wife and I got married, because we found out she was pregnant, okay? And so my dad was a pastor as well, 
It is not the easiest thing to tell your pastor father, hey, guess what? We're engaged and we're getting married in three and a half months because, well, she's pregnant and she wants to look nice in a wedding dress. And so I was 20 and Kim was 19, I believe. Yeah, I think those were the right ages. And so our first year of marriage, I was a full-time student working full-time. She was a part-time student working part-time, and we had a brand new baby. It's not a recipe for a calm, easy existence. And so when, when we start talking about things today, and you're like, man, I don't know if he knows this one. Yes, I've been there. I've been there, and everything we talk about today, I have done wrong. So there is hope. There is hope for you. There is hope for your marriage. And once again, I think Scott's been saying this every single week, and I'll say this too. This series is primarily aimed at people who are married, but most everything we talk about can apply beyond just marriage. So if you're like sitting here today and you're like, you know what, I'm not married, I think I'm just going to zone out or tune out, a lot of everything we're going to be talking about today applies whether you're married, whether you're dating, whether you're single. Honestly, a lot of the stuff today we talk about even would work even with friendships. So, back on topic. What do you do when you're fighting with your spouse? What do you do when there's trouble in paradise? When all that passion turns to passionate anger. And so what we're going to be looking at today, and one of the first things that we're going to kick off with is that the difference between good marriages and bad marriages is not whether or not people fight. All couples fight. Good marriages fight. Bad marriages fight. The difference is not whether or not they fight. The difference is whether or not it's in how they fight. In how they fight. If you have a good marriage, you're still going to fight with your spouse. If you have a bad marriage, you're going to fight with your spouse. The difference is in how you fight. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at first, we're going to look in Scripture at how not to do it. Usually when we look at Scripture, we're like, okay, here's the thing you need to do. Today we get to look at what not to do. And we're going to jump right back into the Song of Solomon where we've been all month long, and we're going to take a look at an example of what not to do. So if you have your Bibles or if you have a Bible app or something on your tablet, we're going to be in Song of Solomon chapter 5, and we're going to learn what not to do when you're upset with your spouse. Now, Song of Solomon, for those of you that are kind of, like, maybe this is your first week, you don't know where it's going, Song of Solomon is basically written in poetic form, and it tells the story of the courtship and marriage of Solomon and his bride. And so a lot of this is poetic, a lot of this is, like, when you first read it, you're like, what are they talking about? It's metaphor, it's poetic, and stuff like that. So in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, we start off, and this is the woman in the relationship speaking, and this is what she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. When I heard my lover knocking and calling, open to me, my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. Okay, so let me explain what's happening here, because like I said, once again, this is written in poetic form. I slept, but my heart was awake. She cannot sleep. She is restless. She doesn't know where her husband is. It's late at night. She's maybe a little bit worried, maybe a little bit angry, maybe a little bit anxious, She doesn't know where her husband is. Then all of a sudden, he shows up knocking on the door. And he's definitely in a Marvin Gaye kind of mood right now, okay? I mean, like, he's pulling out every single line he can. My treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. You know, we have no idea where he's been. But he's here, and he's ready to go. All right, now look how she responds in verse 3. But I responded... I have taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I have washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? Okay, she's like, yeah, we're going to shut this down right now. 
Because here's something you need to know. I've been tossing and turning all night. I have no idea where you've, where you've been. And now you want to jump straight into some lovemaking? No. My day ended long ago. That's what she's basically saying. Look, I've already gone to bed. Now you want me to get back up, throw on some clothes. You want me to come in, let you in. No. I am done. I'm not getting dressed again. I'm not getting my feet dirty. She shuts him down. And from there, it dissolves. Starting in verse 4. My lover tried to unlatch the door. So basically, he's like, look, let me in. But then she, her mind starts to change, and my heart thrilled within me. I jumped up to open the door for my love, and my hands dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with the lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him, but I could not find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. He wants in. She's like, no, you're not getting in. He does what any typical stupid guy does. Well, fine, then, if that's what it's going to be, you know. And so he leaves. She changes her mind. Well, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I'll let him in, you know. Maybe this isn't worth blowing up so much. She, she goes to open the door, and I guess apparently whatever house they lived in, I mean, Solomon was a king. So apparently I guess it takes a while to get down there, open the gate, open the door. But now he's gone. He's gone back out on the town. And now she's upset, and now she's missing him. And she's like, okay, where did he go? And there's no reply. And what has happened here is what happens in so many relationships and something that I've done so many different times. You start competing with each other to see who can hurt the other one more. You made me mad because you didn't come home when I thought you'd be. So I'm not letting you in the door. Fine, you won't let me in the door? I'll go leave again. And it becomes this little competition to see who can hurt each other more. Now, this is going to be true for marriages, but this is going to be true for any relationship. And if you don't hear almost anything else I say today, take this next statement home with you. When you turn a relationship into a competition, everyone loses. Let me say that again. When you turn a relationship into a competition, everyone loses. Both of them aren't looking to make things better. They're looking to win an argument. And now it's a competition to see who wins. And I can't tell you how destructive that is in a marriage. Because when you get married, you say, two become one. Well, in order for it to be turned into an argument, you have to split the one into two, and there now has to be a winner, and then there now has to be a loser. And if you're playing a game, that's completely okay. I'm all for winners and losers in games. But marriage should not be a game. Because once someone has to win and once someone has to lose, you've turned it into me versus you. I am now separate from you. We said we would become one, but now I am separate from you, and you are separate from me. And if you're anything like me at all, this is a very easy trap to fall into because I like to win. I like to win almost in anything I'm playing. If we're playing a game, I want to win that. If we're playing a sport, I want to win that. If we're, you know, betting who can get to the next red light first, I want to, I want to win that. And so... I do not like to lose. As much as I like to win, I hate to lose even more. And so if it's going to turn into an argument, and this is very easy for me to do, and I'm sure this is very easy for a lot of us in this room to do, you like winning. You like being proven right. But every single time I do that, the warmth of winning the argument never matches the coldness that creeps into the relationship. Winning an argument, losing the relationship. When you turn a relationship into a competition every single time, Everyone loses. Now, what do you do then? If you, if you can't turn it into a competition, 
what should you do? Because obviously, there's going to be some times when disagreements come up. There are going to be some times when things aren't the way that you want to be. So how do you, how do you handle the situation? How do you move forward? How do you make progress? And it's a mental shift here. It's a mental shift that we make. We switch from fighting against a person to fighting for a relationship. Switch from fighting against a person to fighting for a relationship. Your perspective changes. Instead of me having to prove why I'm right or prove why you're wrong, we start talking about, okay, what's actually happened here? Why is there a disagreement? And here's the reason why this is so important. If you fight based on who's right and who's wrong, you're always going to find something to justify why you were right. For example, if we look at the man and the woman in Song of Solomon, she expected him to be home at a reasonable hour. That's not a crazy expectation. She can say, I'm right. He expected to be let in the door when he got home. Not a crazy expectation. So in his mind, he's right. He was expecting, hey, we're newlyweds, we're married. We should continue this good thing. I I like playing this twister we've been playing, you know? Not a crazy expectation. She expected maybe an apology or something for just randomly showing up with no word. That's not a crazy expectation. See, the problem is is that when two people come into it and they start fighting against each other, they're going to always go back to their expectations. Here's what I expected, and I'm right based on what I expected. And then the other person in the relationship will say, well, I'm right based on what I, am, what I expected. And so if you're going to actually fight for the relationships, and this is something my wife and I have learned, and I can't say we do it 100% of the time right, but it's something we've gotten much better at in the uh, almost 13 years we've been married, is that you start spelling out expectations ahead of time. If you really want to fight for the relationship instead of against each other, start spelling out your expectations ahead of time. And you're like, ah, Jeremy, though, shouldn't my spouse just know not to blank? Or shouldn't he know not to do this or to do this? Or shouldn't it just be a given that this is, you know, fill in the blank with whatever it is you're expecting? And the answer is maybe. I don't know. But which would you rather do? Not talk about the expectation, fight about it afterwards for three or hours or three days or three years or whatever, or just talk about the expectation ahead of time. Which is more important to you? Fighting about it or just spelling it out? Because, see, one of the things that everybody seems to forget is that when two people get married, it's two separate lives coming together. That the reason we fight about towels, the reason we fight about toothpaste, the reason we fight about toilet paper is because for 18, 15, 20, 30 some odd years in the past, I've got to do things my way. She's gotten to do things her way. And so the expectations meet and clash because they're completely different. So, for example, when my wife and I got married, I'd spent my whole life growing up living in apartments or rented houses, okay? So when something broke in my world, you just called the landlord, you called the apartment manager, you called whoever, and they came and fixed it. That's how I grew up. Kim grew up with a father who was a two-time Golden Glove boxer, and he currently owns his own landscaping business. I don't think anybody's fixed anything for him ever. So when he had something break, he, would, you know, he could probably rebuild it, machine tool it from hand in his garage. So we get married, something breaks, and I'm like, well, it's broken until someone comes and fixes it. I'll put the call in, and she's like, no, you need to be fixing that. I'm like, once again, I have the mechanical skills of a six-year-old girl. 
I will break it more if I try to. It would be, and that's a funny one because it's pretty easy. It, but see, two different sets of expectations coming together. Two different ways of growing up coming together. A lot of times when we get married and the things we're fighting about, well, yeah, they're, they're, they make complete sense based on the way you grew up or they make complete sense based on the way she grew up. But you need to talk about it beforehand. You need to talk about it ahead of time. You need to talk about it because not everyone is going to be exactly the same as you. And I bet part of what first drew you to your spouse or what first drew you to the person you're dating or whoever is that, hey, they're not just like me. They're a little bit different. This is something that's not what I'm always used to. And we love it so much when it's fresh and new. And then when it gets so aggravating when we have to live with it on a permanent basis. So spell out expectations ahead of time. If your dad always came home at 6.30, maybe his dad never came home till 10.30, 11. You know, maybe, maybe routine for him was, okay, my dad comes home and tells me goodnight and then I go to bed. And you're like, no, dad was always there every night for supper. Talk about those things ahead of time. Maybe your routine was, okay, dad was never around, so I'm not really quite sure what it's like to have a guy in the house. Or, you know, mom was never around, so I'm not really quite sure what it's like to have a woman. Talk about those things ahead of time. When you spell out the expectations and talk about it on the front end, it saves you so much work on the back end. Now, with that being said, I'm sure there's someone here sitting in the room that's like, okay, Jeremy, that sounds great. Talk about it ahead of time. What about when what the expectations are just polar opposites? What about when I'm like saying, let's go vacation in Italy? And she's like, let's go vacation in Hawaii. And if we meet in the middle, that's like Detroit. And no one wants to go vacation in Detroit. Or, you know, like, what if they're saying, like, look, there's no way to do both. There's no way that we can really compromise. Someone's going to have to give. Someone, this, is, this is not one of those, oh, we happy, there's a third way. Someone's going to have to lose. Someone's going to have to win. What do you do in that case? All right, now what I'm about to say only applies if you are a Christian. It works even if you're not a Christian. So don't get me wrong. This can apply to everyone. But the basis for what I'm about to say is Jesus. And so if you haven't made that decision to follow him yet, I highly encourage you to because it will make things better. But what I'm about to say is based strictly on Jesus. When it's you and your spouse and there can't be a meet in the middle, here's what you do. Grow up and serve them. Grow up and serve them. When you got married, you said things like, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and health, till death do us part. If you meant that, do it. And so a lot of times what we're fighting for is not our relationship. We're fighting for our need to be right, our need to be the one in charge. And as Christians, we look at Jesus and we say, okay, look, The definition of faith, the definition of Jesus, what we base all of our faith on is a guy who died for people who didn't deserve it and didn't appreciate it at the time and then told us to go and do the same. So in a relationship that, once again, if you're Christian, our job is to grow up and serve our spouse. When it it comes to A or B and it can't be both, we serve our spouse. Time out. Let me make sure that I make something very, very clear here. I am not talking about situations where someone is being abused. I am not talking about some situations where someone is hurting someone else either mentally, physically, or emotionally. That is a separate case. You do not serve that. You get out of that situation. 
There are plenty of people here that will help you if you're stuck in that situation. We would love to talk to you after the service. We will help you transition out of that and find a safe place. So if you're hearing this and you're thinking, do I have to stay in that situation? The answer is no. That is not what we're talking about. If you're being abused, we have people who will help you. Now with that said, in non-abusive situations, grow up and serve them. What does the scripture tell us in the New Testament? It says, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. So, what did Christ do for the church? He died for it. So basically, husbands, your job is to serve your wife until it kills you. Okay? <laughs> Wives, it says something like, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. So what does that mean? So Once again, not abusive situations. That's not what we're talking about. But when it comes to your choices or his choices, serve him like you, like you were serving God. Now, there's always pushback. Guys don't like this whole, what do you mean? Well, what if she's clearly wrong? You know, I'm not going to die for someone who's clearly wrong. Or I'm not going to serve someone who's a, clearly a jerk or, you know, something like that. It's like, look, let go of your pride, because that's what 90% of it is, is pride, and serve them. I've never seen a marriage fall apart because the couples just outserved each other. You know, where did it all go wrong? Well, she wouldn't quit serving me, and he wouldn't quit serving me, and... We just loved each other so much it just blew up. There's just no way, nothing we could do. You never hear that story. We all know the story of the person who said, well, she did this, so then I did this. You know, she refused to do this, so I refused to do this, and now we're not talking, and it's been two years, and I won't do this, and I won't do that. See, once again, our basis is Jesus. When Jesus died for us, it wasn't because everyone else said, yeah, we're going to gladly do it. No, like he was rejected by everyone and died for people and loved them anyway. Jesus made the first move. In a marriage, someone has to make the first move. Someone has to be the first one to serve. Someone has to be the first one to submit. As Christians, we say, okay, it's my privilege and it's my honor to make the first move and submit. There's this passage of scripture that we always, or not, not all weddings have it, but like 80, 90% of weddings have it. And the funny thing is, is it wasn't even written for weddings. It wasn't even written for marriages. It just applies so well that people use it. But basically, this can apply to any relationship whatsoever. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's the famous love passage. And if you want to know what to do with your spouse when, there's, when you guys are stuck and there can't be a compromise, just look at this passage and do what it says. This is what it says. Love is patient and kind. Okay, if I love my spouse, what is the patient thing for me to do here? What is the kind thing for me to do here? Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Let me, let me translate that a little bit. Love doesn't tell the spouse how lucky they are to be married to you and how much their life has improved since you've walked into it. Love doesn't tell them where they would be if you weren't around. It does not demand its own way. That goes for all of us. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't bring up something that your spouse did wrong three months ago or six months ago or every single week. It does not rejoice about injustice. It doesn't take deli- so basically, it doesn't take delight when your spouse gets what's coming to them. But it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. That's what you do for your spouse. I will endure any circumstance. I will be patient. I will be kind. I will not be proud or boastful. I will not demand my own way because that is the vow I took as a Christ follower when I got married. 
If you're like, wow, that seems crazy, don't get married. Don't get married until you found someone where you're like, yep, I would gladly do those things. Because I guarantee you, it's much tougher. I talk to people all the time, you don't understand how tough it is to be single. You don't understand how tough it is to be single. It's much, much, much tougher to be in a marriage where people don't love each other than it is to be single. So if this seems crazy to you, don't get married. So let's kind of just recap where we've been this morning. The difference between a good marriage and a bad marriage is not in whether or not you fight. All couples fight. The difference is in how you fight. When you turn a relationship into a competition, everyone loses. Switch from fighting against a person and start fighting for a relationship. Spell out your expectations ahead of time and then grow up and serve them. Now, if you're looking for a place to start today, if you're looking like, okay, what do I do? I like everything you've said. What do I do? First thing I would do is pray. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is by far the single best thing you can do for your marriage. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the next best thing to do is to turn your marriage over to God and say, God, you are in charge of my marriage. And when I can't stand the thought of serving them, I'm going to serve you. And because I'm serving you, that means I serve them. If you want someone to help you with this and pray with you through this, we would gladly do that this morning. But even beyond this morning, we have wonderful couples in our church that spend their time walking through, walking through people with, walking people through this. Here, that's, I promise I can speak. Walking people through this. There's a great couple in our church named Adam and Candy. They're full-time missionaries for marriages. That's what they do when they're not on Dancing with the Stars. Um, we have a couple marriage groups that specifically focus on this. We've got a couple named um, Chuck and Diane Howell. Everyone likes them, okay? They are like really fun people. If you don't like them, that says more about you than it says about them. But they lead a marriage group. Great things happen inside that marriage group. If you need some help with this, don't, don't try to walk it alone. Don't try to figure it out. We will plug you in with some great people that will help walk you through this. Because basically, if you plan on being married for the rest of your life, it's something worth figuring out now and not just being like, well, I guess a little, it'll be bad until I die and then, you know, whatever. No, figure it out now ahead of time. So what I want to do is I want to pray for you guys and I want to just take a moment because I know a lot of, I've, I've kind of kept this lighthearted because it's a tough subject, but I know for a lot of you this is not a lighthearted, easy thing and what you really could use is some prayer. And so if that's what you, I'm going to say a prayer, then our prayer team will be down here. If you need prayer about this, about making Jesus the Lord of your life, we would be glad to do that with you. It would be our honor, and it would be our privilege. So I'm going to pray, and then if you need to come forward and receive some prayer, we would love to do that for you. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, it is my prayer that not just the married couples in this room, but that everyone would start looking at relationships as a way to serve others, as a way to give their best to others, as a way to share our Jesus story with others. You came and you died and you set the example for us, and it's my prayer that we would live it out, especially in our marriages. Lord, I know I've screwed this up so much in my own, in my own life and in my own past, and yet you've been faithful and you've walked us through it. And so, Lord, my prayer is that you would do the same for the couple struggling in here. Surround them with other people who will love them. Surround them with other people who will care for them. And help us to just move forward in the example of Jesus for our marriages, for our kids, for our families, for our communities. Let the world see us and say, wow, I don't know if I know exactly if I believe the same things, but I can't deny that the people there love each other. 
I can't deny that there's something different there. And I want to know a little bit more about it. Thank you once again for your son Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.